Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Here by the Owl, a Missouri Ag Teachers podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hinkey. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully, this will be the first of many. Um, just a little bit of background about uh, the podcast. I kind of had an idea several months ago uh, about another platform as a way to get uh, Missouri Ag teachers to get to know one another and uh, just thought that uh, we needed uh, a way to interact, be able to get to know each, uh, each one of our peers and so I uh, thought this would be a good way to uh, get to know one another. So hopefully uh, you enjoy what we get put together here on episode one. Today I'm joined by our first guest, Mr. John Wilson. Uh, Mr. Wilson teaches down at Gainesville, so it's a pleasure to have John here with us today to be guest number one. Thank you very much. So, uh, I know we've had a busy day. We've been down here at MVATA in Springfield. We just got through with um, our award ceremony and uh, our re relief fund auction. So, just kind of come back, decided this would be a great time to record. Been trying to get together all summer to do this. And so, anyway, uh, hope that it's a quality product that you guys enjoy. So, John, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, where you're from? What about your family? Well, uh, we live in southern Douglas County. Uh, we've got a small beef farm down there that, that uh, we've been working on. Been there since about 2001. Uh, I'm married. My wife, she's involved in agriculture as well. She works for the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Uh, we have two boys. I've got a junior in college. Uh, he's in the Ag Ed program at Missouri State University. And then I have a senior in high school. And he's very active and involved in the FFA. And so, um, we just, you know, we, we kind of stay close to the farm. Um, got a lot of livestock to take care of and, and don't stray off too much, but that's kind of about us and the family. Well, good deal. Hey, why don't you tell me about, uh, you know, your ag experience and um, if you had an ag experience, you know, we've got several several of our colleagues in here that, uh, that weren't involved in ag education in high school. But uh, anyway, why don't you give us a... Uh, um, Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, it, it's, you know, it's funny you ask. Uh, growing up, I grew up in Shannon County, Missouri, a little town named Eminence, and Eminence did not have an ag program. Uh, about halfway through my high school career, we, we moved and uh, moved to Licking, Missouri. And uh, Stan Cody was the ag teacher at that time at that school. And I played ball. And so, you know, I was kind of new to the school, pushed in a direction or two, and, and ag was not on the table for me, so I didn't, didn't see that opportunity. Later on, uh, as I got, you know, up in my junior, senior years of high school, I saw agriculture and saw the, the things the students were doing and, and thought, you know, hey man, that'd be cool to do it. And so I, I tried to enroll in Mr. Cody's class and he denied me. <laughs> really? He would, <laughs> he would not let me in his class. And uh, so, you know, I, I had no ag experience at all in high school. And, and I, I feel I'm pretty unique in that and, and that, you know, I've, I've been teaching for quite some right, time. Right, right. And so. Well, that's neat because I know, um, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that kind of fell in the same boat as you, and you know, they try to 
they, they get into the profession and you know, they don't they don't have any idea of where to start and all that. All they've had is just kind of their teacher ed program to go off of, and it's really a shock to the system if you if you haven't uh, been exposed to it uh, in your high school career. But it's funny uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Stan. I believe I went to FFA camp with him a few times. He was kind of uh, those that ever went to camp with him. I think he kind of knew something about. I believe it was the camp gremlins. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so. But one one thing about Stan, he was awful good to take me in under his wing, and uh, he's he has been a very valuable mentor to me through my career. Well, good. Kind of come full circle. Then. It has. It has. I still get to rib him every once in a while because I'm not quite sure he's ever gotten the teacher teacher awards. <laughs> And, and I, I, I reminded him of that frequently. So. Oh, well, good deal. So you went ahead and uh, you graduated from high school with no agate experience. And so uh, where'd you go to college? I went to uh, Southwest Missouri State University and uh, started in there. started in the, in the wildlife program. And uh, so I, uh, I decided on Southwest Missouri. It was, it was kind of close to home, but far enough away. You know, it was one of the things that, you know, it was a new experience. Um, I, I wanted to go into wildlife, but, uh, you know, this was back in the mid-90s, and, and we were seeing some hiring freezes in the state, and we were seeing some issues with getting employment. And uh, to be honest with you, um, I dropped out of school at a point, and I just quit and went into industry and just started working due to the fact that all these guys were graduating with their wildlife degrees. Right. And they weren't finding employment, and so I'm I'm actually a college dropout. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of I uh, I can kind of uh, understand, although I didn't quit. You know, I was I started out as an animal science major, and you know, at the time it looked like all the animal science degrees with uh, people with with a BS in animal science either had to go on to get an MA, uh, master's degree in order to find a job, or they went to work for PSF or Murphy Family Farms, and I and I just that really wasn't what I wanted to do is work in the swine industry. And so, and my ag teacher had really pushed me pretty hard, Mr. Steve Schneidemeyer, who uh, just retired last year. You know, he said, you really ought to think about ag education. And, and it didn't really hit home until after I got to the University of Missouri, where I graduated from. You know, I got to rib you a little bit about that, yeah, that uh, yeah. Missouri State. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot. Southwest Missouri Southwest. State. <laughs> so, it'll always be Southwest to you. Is exactly. That, yeah. So, and uh, anyway, so what did, did you do anything? I mean, so you dropped out, came back to Southwest Missouri State. I did, I did, and uh, uh, you know when I when I came back to school, I, I was really searching, and uh, uh, I had one of those advisors that would really sit down, you know, and, and as we would visit and talk about future plans and goals, um, <clears throat> he he started mentioning again, you know, not having an agriculture background. It, as far as high school and FFA, you know, it, it was something that I had not heard a lot about. I um, was very interested in working with with the youth. Uh, at that time, you know, quite involved in our church, uh, working with youth programs, Sunday schools, you know, and it was something I really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, to kind of back up just a little bit, when I was in the wildlife program at Missouri State, uh, they offered two tracks. You could go through biology department or you could go through the ag department. And I went through the ag department, so my freshman year I started getting some introductions to agriculture, classes, uh, activities, those kind of things, and it really struck a chord with me. So as this advisor 
began to discuss my options with me, you know, it became one of those things that was pretty evident that this was an avenue that I was thinking I'd really like to go down. Well, it's good. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny when you sit back sometimes and you look at all those experiences and, and life experiences and how life takes you one direction and uh, then how you come back and, and you know, take a new, a, a new role. Now, is it right you were on the rodeo team in Southwest Missouri? Well, I, I, I had a college rodeo card and, and uh, I thought that was something that I really wanted to engage in, you know, and, and uh, it, it only took a few bad wrecks to change my mind. And, <laughs> and so... Uh, to say I was on the team, I guess, yes, I was on the team, but uh, I, I don't know that I would, could be called an active participant. Okay, what event? Bareback. Bareback. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, were you influenced a little bit by Chris Ledoux, maybe a little bareback, Jack? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, okay, yeah. I, I kind of was there. I never I never got on a horse. Uh, but uh, when I was a senior in high school, me and some buddies, you know, we got to, got into the kind of that rodeo lifestyle a little bit as far as really liking it. And the closest we ever came is uh, we rode my buddy's uh, Hereford show heifer and his and his Hereford bull <laughs> and did it in his show barn uh, at night. Uh, you know, kind of took a neck a uh, neck rope and fashioned it as a as a bull rope and kind of had our own little jackpot. And uh, so yeah, I was a bull rider once and, and a heifer rider. I guess <laughs> you could say. The little side note to that is uh, we decided to do that one night before the ACT test, and let's just say. Uh, I took a pretty bad, uh, a pretty bad fall, and I didn't score so well the next day. Set into a four-hour test, but anyway, so uh, Missouri State, uh, you graduate the second time, or you graduate after coming back with an IGAD degree, and so uh, where did you go to work? My first teaching experience was with uh, the Chadwick School District, and uh, it was a brand new program. I was a first-year teacher. With no experience. No experience in high school FFA whatsoever. And uh, I was going to go start a new program. And uh, so it, it was, uh, it was a, a pretty big learning curve for me. Luckily, you know, uh, uh, those of you that went through the traditional teacher training institutes know that you know, you got a block program, you got a lot of good friends on there. And I had a lot of good friends that took me, took me in, you know, and helped me. Yeah. Help guide me, uh, you know, and, and I could mention names, but I know I'd leave people out. But uh, it, it, it was a little bit of a challenge, but uh, it was a great, great opportunity, uh, great community support. Um, you know, it, it was a, an awesome experience, a, a small little school, uh, lots of kids active, and uh, had, it, it lacked a little bit of, of support from the administration. And so, in a new program, in a brand new program, yeah, it it was, it 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 uh, it was an odd situation. Uh, neither one of the administrators had ever been involved in agriculture, and you know it was one of those they they hadn't quite figured out that it just wasn't a glorified science pro program. Uh, you know, it, our first year, they didn't let us go to national convention. And so, you know, it, 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 was, it was a challenge. And so, you know, the, probably the biggest reason that I left that school district was their scheduling system they were on. They were on a four block. So uh, not a lot of people are familiar with the four block. And what it is is you'll have the same set of kids for the first semester and their 90-minute 90, 90 periods. 
And then when Christmas is over and January rolls around, you get a whole set of new kids. Well, I can honestly, my first job, I, I taught at Concordia, Missouri. Started there in uh, 1999, and they were on a five block. So they were five 75-minute periods every day for a semester, and then you switched over. And so I, uh, I, you know, I understand. There's a lot of challenges there. It's pretty hard, and especially we were a fairly new program. And uh, so it, it's kind of hard to, to build those traditions and things like yeah. that, especially when you only see kids maybe one semester. Yes. You know, I really tried to, to get that, hey, I need my Ag 1 kids both semesters to really try to lay down that foundation. Um, and very hard, very hard from a leadership standpoint and your officers. So uh, I, I understand completely, yeah. but I mean, I, that, it's very challenging, especially for, you know, a young teacher trying to get his feet wet. And I can only imagine what it's like when they shoot you down and don't let you go to national convention. Yeah, it, it was pretty hard. It was pretty hard. So. So after that, you know, uh, uh, I was commuting to get to this job, and, and there was an established program that came open, same distance, better road, uh, rich traditions, good history, and I was able to apply for that job in Gainesville, uh, where I'm at now, and I've, I've been in Gainesville since 2000. Cool, cool. And so I guess, so what year did you start teaching? I started in 99, same year as you. Okay. So you were at Chadwick for, for a year and then, yeah. okay. Yeah. So good deal. I mean, I, I could see that if somebody would, I mean, kind of been in those positions for, you know, a while where it could be very disheartening, probably run you out of the profession, yeah. you know? So it's a good thing that it all worked out in the end, you know? Yeah. Not everybody's stories like that, but uh, yeah, you just never know. So, you know, you said you left uh, school there for a while and you said you went out into industry. So, so tell us about those job experiences. My main, uh, the, the main type of employment I was engaged in during that time frame was uh, with an old feed company called Tyndall Mills here in Springfield. And, uh, you know, we're pretty close over here on Chestnut. I think Drury has kind of eat up the majority of, of what Tyndall Mills used to be, but uh, uh, that's where I spent several years. Uh, from a time frame roughly about uh, 93, 92, 93, somewhere in that time frame, till about 96, 97, working for Tyndall Mills here in Springfield. Uh, worked at the farm supply store, uh, loading feed trucks, you know, loading feed for farmers and just kind of hands-on. And, you know, I loved it. it. It was a great opportunity. So what was the defining moment to make you decide to go back to school? I mean, you, you like the experience, you like what you're doing. But I mean, there had to be some sort of aha moment that says, I don't, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I, there's something else that, that I'm being called towards. Yeah, there was, you know, a lot of it had to do with working conditions, uh, the environment, you know, not, not the physical labor, not that, it was just the, you know, who was around. It was a constant turnover. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a guy who is a, a creature of habit. I like steady go, you know, and, and, uh, you know, in that feed industry, I was working with a lot of kids. And when I say kids, we're talking just high school kids. And we had constant turnover, so we were constantly retraining, constantly working. And, and it just got to the point, you know, where I was like, man, there's got to be something better than this. And, and so uh, we, were, we were newly married uh, probably a year whenever I made the decision that I, I wanted to go back to school. And it was really scary because you know that's a that's a huge financial 
commitment. Well, sure, yeah. absolutely. Especially, you know, if I'm working in a decent industry position. Now, was your wife working for uh, NRCS at the she, time? She was. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she so. was. And so, I, I think that defining moment would, you know, would be that work environment, not, you know, that that was surrounding me at the time. Kind of the, you know, the last thing is where is as we kind of finish out, so you know where you came from, type of deal. Um, how were you as a student coming back? I mean, compared to before? It was totally different. It, it was completely different. Um, you know, I had a totally different mindset. and uh, Because you just became a non-traditional student, didn't I, you? I became a very non-traditional student. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was one of those things. You know, I, I graduated with, and, and they weren't kids, but, you know, I'm several years older than a lot of the kids that were on my block with me. And, uh, you know, it... it it was it was a different experience. I had different responsibilities. You know, uh, we I, I, we had a, a, a home mortgage. You know, I had a wife. We were starting a family. There was a lot of things that was riding on this, and so um, and a lot I, of things I, your classmates didn't. I mean, they couldn't yeah, relate to. Right, right. I, you know, I went from uh, you know my first few years in college, uh, my graduating GPA is extremely low because of that. And then I went from, you know, having a, a 2.0 or something, a 2.35 to making 4.0s from coming back in as a non-traditional student. And, you know, and if I made any, any grades lower than a, a B, it, it was shocking. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was just a maturity thing. Oh, and, I, and, I, I can relate, absolutely. I was a much better master student than I was an undergrad. Yes. Yeah. And it was probably a better undergrad as I matured, you know, in those last couple of years than before mm -hmm. you know but you know i think everybody's got to go through those growing frames and you learn from those experiences you do so and and you know it gives you a little bit of uh, insight and maybe some uh, life lessons that, that you're able to share with your students you know because my story is a little different than you know some of my colleagues and and it gives me the ability to speak to them about things that that some people may not have experienced absolutely absolutely and that's kind of, you know, we're getting ready to kind of just switch gears a little bit and start talking about the classroom. And, you know, I think that's one of the one of the things that I draw on my strengths that I feel like that I bring to the classroom may not necessarily be the new the new teaching idea and all that. But I feel like my life experiences is what I bring to my to my classroom. And that's what I value and think that that uh, that is the best thing that I can give to my students. So. As we head down that road, you know, so let's let's talk about for a moment. What's what do you like teaching the most? I mean, uh, and and I kind of leave that open ended uh, for you to kind of you know chase that rabbit down the hole, and uh, I, you know that's kind of just a hard question because you know the the unique thing about the the teaching position that we're in is that our avenues just branch off, and you know our day is so diverse that. It just, it, it, it's amazing the things we get to do. You know, uh, when I first got to Gainesville, we had a greenhouse. No, I didn't like a greenhouse. I didn't have greenhouse experience. Didn't like it, you know. And, and as I learned and as I started working with that, that you know, that's, that's one of my, I love that class. I love having the kids in there. I love seeing them engaging in the work, you know, the, seeing the product, seeing the, you know, the, that's something I enjoy, you know. Uh, to, to say that's my favorite, you know, it's kind of hard just to select one because, you know, man, and we... Do you, you teach that every year? 
I, I uh, actually I teach it on a rotational basis. So it leaves you a little bit yearning for the next yeah. time around. You yeah. know, it's kind of nice to have a break, but yet it's but you look forward to it the next I time. I do, I do, and you know, I, and you know, the way we've got our program set up in Gainesville is a, a slightly different than than some of the other schools do. You know, but uh, it has to do with course offerings and allowing you know selective process for our upperclassmen. But yeah, we teach it on a rotational basis. You know, uh, probably. You know, and this kind of goes back to my first choice of college. You know, I love conservation. Um, the area we live in lends to that. We sit between two lakes. Uh, there's more timber owned by the government around us than, than anything. And, and so, you know, conservation is something we really enjoy. And it's one of those classes. I, te I teach that as well. And I can't say that I've ever taught it the same way twice. Right. You know, I, I use some different curriculums and bring it in. And, and just I'm trying to find... The thing that really piques them, what you know, what I think is relevant today, and so, but it is one of those that you know kind of lends me. It's it's nice when it's over. It's nice to have that year break. Gives me a chance to refresh on that curriculum and think, okay, now how can I do that better? What what can I really use to pique that pique those kids' interest? So, so good deal. Now let's flip the coin on this and go. If there was one thing that you never had to teach again, what would it be? Oh, well, I, I, you know, again, that, that is just, I, I can honestly say that <clears throat> 22 years into my profession that I do not have a class that I do not like to teach. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I know that that's probably not the answer we're looking for, but... Well, let's, you know, let's, let's not even look at that as a class. Is there a one unit within the class... That just makes you just you just grind your teeth and just oh, man I just I really hate that you know because you know maybe it's not practical anymore maybe it's something that you you know you keep saying man I need to pull this out because uh, I don't see the practicality in it and let's be honest I hate it you know is there any, I, is there anything I, like that I I don't know that there is I I think that over the years as I've grown as an educator you know some of those classes that I struggled with I struggled with them because. Um, you know, going back to my experiences, I may not have been as familiar with them. And so, you know, as I've gotten deeper into my career, you know, the more studying, the more researching, the more things I've done myself to prepare has, has eased that burden quite a bit. Well, I think if you really want to put your finger on it, it it's that if you're going to be an educator, you got to be a lifelong learner. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of uh, myself and a and a, one of our uh, mutual friends, um, we we attended a professional development class on welding here a week a week ago, and you know there was there was three of us quote unquote old guys, and there was you know some some young fresh teachers there, and you know one of them even asked you know why are you here, and it's like well I'm here to develop this skill, and it's particular it was in. TIG welding, you know, to take advantage of it. And, and I kind of made that point to them is like, you need to take time to, to, you know, to learn and not be afraid to ask questions and do that all the way through your career or you get stagnant. Right. And so, you know, and it was a great opportunity. And, and, you know, honestly, those PD opportunities that we have in Missouri, and I've done some in some, some surrounding states, you know, those are some of the most valuable memories that I have because of not only the content knowledge, but the people that I've shared those experiences with. Absolutely. And so, 
those you you young folks that are listening to this, you know, listen to us old guys and, and take advantage of those professional development opportunities that you have available to you. You know, never be afraid to to step out of that you know quote unquote cliche box and, and be able to um, you know learn something new. So anyway, that's you know as we're sitting here kind of rounding out this classroom thing. So when folks think of John Wilson, you know, what are you generally known for? You know, well. The, the thing that I'm probably most known for is probably legislation, probably something to do with politics. I know that has nothing to do with the classroom, but usually usually when people hear my name, that's probably what they associate it with. Right, but if I'm looking for if I'm looking for an expert, if they're saying, you know, you need to go talk to John Wilson about this, whether it's, you know, is, is it uh, uh, like the Grasslands contest, or is it... Is it uh, probably probably going to be poultry or parliamentary procedure. Okay. So, and I, and I can speak to you, those of you that sat in and been into our MVATA meetings uh, before, especially here at Summer Conference. You know, John has been one that's been called on before as, as our parliamentarian. Uh, and so, I mean, that kind of gets down to what we're going to talk about just a little bit later. But, but uh, yeah, definitely. And the reason why I ask that question is because there's always folks out there that, you know, they have a question on that and they generally look to somebody who is that person in contact? And so especially some of these young folks that that are still getting to know everybody, right. hopefully they can take from this and say, I got a poultry question. Maybe I'll call John Wilson. Right. You know, and he can answer that. And so I can tell you that, you know, I've trained a poultry team, but don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna start calling you. <laughs> so anyway, um, Let's kind of move on and let's kind of let's talk about our student organization. Let's talk about the FFA. So, what's your favorite thing to do or favorite event that uh, you get to do as an FFA advisor? I would probably say the the favorite thing would have to be WLC as as an advisor, and um, you know. I know we're all, all ag teachers are, are probably similar in this experience, but you know, little old Ozark County, uh, you know, got kids that's never been out of the state unless they went to convention. You know, they've never been on a plane, um, never been to Washington, D.C. And to be able to take them down there and, and, you know, and through the connections that I have, I'm able to hook them up with some pretty cool stuff. and. And uh, you know, to see their reactions, to hear them talk about it, to come back and share that—that has that probably been the favorite thing that I've been able to do. Well, I'm gonna tip my hand just a little bit. I can tell you that I have never been to Washington Leadership Conference as a student or as an advisor. Really? No, no, it's just never been. I mean, I think there's a lot of aspects about DC that <clears throat> that are pretty cool, but you know, I've it, camp has kind of been one of the, more of those one of those things that's really that I've enjoyed. Right. But uh, just, I don't know what it is, John. I mean, it's not that I'm afraid of the big city, but maybe I'm afraid of the big city just a little bit. <laughs> kind of a little bit out of my element. But, uh, you know, I know I need to go. And, and uh, at some point in time, and experience that in some capacity or fashion. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, my sister went, and my mom actually went as a chaperone uh, for FFA chapter when I was in high school. Of course, she's about five years younger than me. 
but no, I've, I've never went and, you know, kind of let my teaching partner kind of handle that deal and, and just say, you know what, uh, well, there were several years she'd go to DC and I'd plan a hunting trip. That would be a week I'd take vacation and I'd be perfectly happy out in big sky country, you know, <laughs> looking at blue skies, thinking that she's in the concrete jungle. But, right. but anyway, that, you know, that's neat. I know it's had a big impact on a lot of our students yes. and, uh, um, it just for the reasons that you stated there. And so. I'm glad, and I know you've made a lot of connections, uh, and and probably could give one whale of a tour out there yourself. So, but that's pretty cool. Um, there again, so is there? Well, you mentioned poultry because I was going to go back to you know when people think of you, what kind of contest or event, and you've said you know parliamentary procedure and poultry. You know, is there anything else you you consider quote unquote expert or? Well, I don't know about an expert. You know, there there are some expectations. You know, and. Uh, we we have a, a wall of plaques and you know and, and uh, we have some areas that we fare very well in uh, you know being a single teacher department um, it's kind of hard to be an expert in everything and so depending on depending on the year depending on the number of teams we have you know that kind of dictates how well we perform well absolutely but uh, you know it, it would probably go back uh, Parley is something that I'm pretty fond of. Uh, you know, I get a lot of parley questions from people, conduct of meetings. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, are you are you you're going after the conduct of meetings? I mean, as far as as a way to try to start building those bet. traditions. You yes. bet it is. Yeah, it, it's a great opportunity. Um, you know, and, and we're we're not the best, but you know, we know we know what's going on. Uh, entomology, uh, poultry, th those are are three that we hit pretty hard, pretty regularly, and. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of expected, you know, to be somewhere in the top three whenever we. So when you when you talk about poultry, and I know you say it's kind of one of those passion things. Do you have do you have any poultry barns that are you know in your county you know, we, around Gainesville or? We have uh, we have a turkey barn, uh, but as far as as chickens, no. Um, and, and I'll just flat out tell you the reasons I like poultry, and the reasons I like entomology is there's no guesswork into the contest the rules are laid out before you and you know and if, if you know how to grade if you know how to, to do the things that are spelled out for you you know it, it is a very cut and dry contest um, as opposed to a livestock contest which is very subjective exactly. you know yeah. you know and it's the things are you can you can see them really well and then all of a sudden go somewhere and, and you know, the officials are laid down a little bit different exactly. and everything. And, that, and that's the difference maker. Exactly. And so, you know, I understand completely. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, I, I, I was advised by, uh, you know, some mentors in the past, you know, these are some areas that you might want to look at. You know, they didn't say, hey, you need to do this. But, you know, they, they really opened my eyes to some of the things that were, were more, not more practical, but more, uh, less subjective, I guess. You know, because you know, you're looking at ID on bugs. It is what it is. Well, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. so I, I would think you know, you go back to to the parley, go back to the the poultry and entomology. Those are those are probably three things that people in my district in my area would probably know me by. Okay, we're gonna kind of uh, maybe switch gears just a little bit. You know, what what do you think is the biggest change that you've seen in your teaching career regarding FFA? And I know as we record this, there's been some, you know, controversial things, and I'm kind of trying to uh, not really look at this from a, from a, let's say, a political or a social point of view. Um, just, 
you know, I, I, I guess I really don't know which direction that I'm in because I, I don't want to turn this podcast into, into that kind of podcast. Sure. You know, I want it more informative. And, you know, anybody that really knows us knows that we, we're very opinionated individuals and, and we probably don't, leave, you know, we don't leave anybody guessing. But, I mean, there's definitely been some changes. And, and when I talk about changes, it can be anywhere from our, from our area change. You know, we, you and I have both seen that and been on the, uh, that's been a part of, of our teaching career where we expanded the number of areas we had and it changed things. Or, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a state degree. That's a, that's a relatively new yeah. change for us. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, I, that's kind of the reason I brought it up because there's a lot of folks out there that don't know where we come from. Right. You know, they, they don't understand why we become the old jaded old guy that sits in the back of the meeting. He's kind of, you know, a little grouchy because they, they don't really realize that, Hey, we've been here and now we're here. And so anyway, I don't want to speak for you. Just kind of, that's kind of what I, well, you know, I think, I think you could probably agree that that in the time that we started teaching, career development events have evolved immensely. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is just, I think that, you know, we, we've seen some changes in those and, and in the fact that we're, we've strayed a little bit from uh, uh, our traditional ways that we did and we're kind of chasing the way national does things. And so, you know, I've seen that change. The state degree change I saw, and, you know, and that was something that personally I felt was a good thing. Um, I believe it's a degree, you know, and uh, if a student meets those qualifications, then, then that. And, and you and I have had that discussion yes. before. You know, we, it's not that, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that avenue a lot, but I mean, ultimately, I think it's what had to happen. <clears throat> Okay, right. given the situations that were becoming present, it, it's it's what had to happen. You know, I'm okay with it. We're still yet to see the the repercussions of how that's going to affect American American degrees down the road. You know, and even to some degree, you know, we're right here in the middle of this COVID, this COVID nineteen thing, and so we've missed a lot of activities and things. And so there's a lot of things to be sorted out uh, over the next over the next several years. So. Um, you know, the, the career development event thing, you know, I was one several years ago that I thought that we ought to picked up on the, what was it, the wildlife CDE mm -hmm. that Nationals had. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that my students at both, you know, actually both schools that I've taught at, I thought they would grab a hold of that thing and run with it. And it just never did really seemed to be um, from the powers that be, no interest. You know, they wanted to tie that to Envirothon. I didn't really feel like that that really fit uh, the way we wanted to go. And so, you know, I, I understand. And so I, I hope some of these young teachers understand that. And, and, and Well, one of the obvious changes would be technology. Um, you know, I, I think we're both old enough to remember sitting down at a typewriter and typing out degrees and, uh, no. you know, doing the doing everything doing all the math by hand right right but i can't say i honestly i everything that i've done has been on computer i've never typed one on a on a okay uh, okay yeah well not trying to call you out old guy but <laughs> but, but we started teaching at the same time but so. you know some of those things are you know the technology thing has been something that's that's been a uh, something that's evolved and uh you know first started teaching, you know, I would record my SAE visits and my time and all that stuff 
on on those hand sheets that we would print out. The VA, the VA one. Off the program. You know what that was? The VA one. Yeah. And now you know those are all online. You know, uh, everything's online, and you know we've seen this from proficiency awards to where we used. You know, it it everything has just evolved, and and it's not that it's bad. You know. It's, it's something that we have to relearn. That's I was gonna say, that's probably been the biggest challenge, just kinda of when you think that you, you've got all your ducks in a row and you know right. how to do this and it becomes old hat, we've picked up a new way and we've gotta relearn that. And so, you know. I, you know, I, I have students who gripe about doing record books and all I have to do is go over to my pigeonhole to where I've got record books from 2002 to where they're all done in pencil on the green and pink pages and they're they're all done by hand you know and the kids are like oh maybe maybe this isn't so bad mr wilson <laughs> you know man we did that we had um used to teach ag one used to teach them all do paper to do paper pencil do the hand calculations and all that and then we would turn around and transfer them into to computer record keeping their their sophomore year and you know uh, my teaching partner and I we just got beating our heads against the wall and said, we just will go straight, you know, eliminate this. But, you know, going straight to the computer program has is, is had its own sets of challenges, probably uh, maybe even worse than the transition from, from paper and pencil to computer. And part of that is, is I think, you know, my own personal opinion is, is you know, these, these kids are tech savvy to some degree, but yet they don't know how to use Excel and you know Word and things like that that I assumed that when they come at it from junior high that you know they've been around a computer all their life that they should just gravitate and know how to use that right. and that's that's not the case and I mean it's gotten worse and really if you want to point fingers I mean what do they do from a search engine stand, all they know is Google right you know and so yeah I agree this tech the, the technology thing and I don't think it's really I mean it's it's not going to change um, so, all right, we'll get away from the, from the FFA side unless there's anything else, you know, as far as that is, um, that you'd like to touch on. So we're going to roll into this, you know, your professional and I, and your professional roles and your professional career. Um, you know, you've got a professional resume that's a mile long and, you know, whether <laughs> I know you're pretty humble about it, but, uh, you know, a lot, there's a lot of folks that don't know your background, what all you've been involved in. And I would like to start that whole conversation with a big thank you because it takes individuals like you who are invested in our profession to speak out. And, and uh, because there's, some, there's a lot of people that don't. And, and I would like to lead this discussion off to say that, you know, your professional involvement um, on a committee level or actually on an exec committee level is actually where we got to know each other. Uh, you know, we didn't teach anywhere close together, um, didn't really have any other interactions, and really probably before that, the only interactions is, is we were, you know, friends with the same people, but really didn't have any interactions together, and it wasn't until we both were, were uh, was on exec committees and Region 4 conference, things like that, that really got to know one another. Right. So, uh, I did want to lead that discussion with that, and I do want to thank you for your service to our profession, um, because I don't know that everybody realizes the value that uh, being involved has on our organ and on our uh, our careers and in our organization professionally. So, but going with that, you know, let, let's start at the local level. 
you know, because there's some folks that do get involved in, in local leadership. So, and I talk locally at the school. And so, and maybe you've been so covered up with everything else, you don't get involved in school. But, uh, but anyway, I'll let you lead from there. Well, you know, on the local level uh, at the school, I've been on uh, uh, various committees. Most recent committees I served on was the superintendent's advisory committee. And, you know, it, it was one of those to where uh, had a new superintendent, was coming in making some changes, and, and we would get together as a committee and discuss those how they were going to affect ideas, brainstorm. And so, you know, just about every opportunity I've had, I've, I've had to be a mentor to new teachers in our district on the local level. Uh, you know, um, again, just different committees, and, and there's 22 years of them, a lot to remember. But you know, as, far, as far as that goes, you know, kind of give you an example, uh, would be that superintendent's advisory committee is the most recent thing that I've done locally. And sometimes those are the hardest committees to really want to get involved in. Is those? I mean, if you're like me, I mean, I've been involved in. Well, they call it the finance committee now, but it was salary and benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was always one of those. Initially, it was like, man, I don't really have time for that. You know, we we we're so involved with so many other things, especially you know with. with well, especially the FA and, right. and things like that. It's like, man, I don't want to go to another meeting. But, you know, honestly, the longer that you teach, you got to get involved in those because at some point in time, you know, in our, like in our school district, I've been there for 17 years. I'm one of the few that have been there that long. Right. And so you got to you got to get involved in order because you may have the memory of things that have happened in the past and why you've done that. And they need your expertise, whether you whether you want to be be the ex quote unquote expert or not. They got to have a little sense of history, you know, especially with the superintendents, you know, uh, and and administrators. You know, I've went through several administrators, and they just kind of go, "Well, this is the guy that knows because he's been there the longest," type thing. So anyway, so moving along from from local committees and things like that, let's talk about MBATA, um, OACTE. Um, so early on. Uh, you know, probably two to three years into my career, my colleagues felt it appropriate to, to put me in the rotation on the area level. And so, you know, just like all area organizations, you know, we run through the, the rotation on that. Um, after that, um, I was nominated to go on to our district level. And uh, funny story about that, I was, I was home uh, with a fever sick and, and missed our district meeting and and uh, Pam Prophet Rowland there, she decided that she she felt I needed to serve on our district MBATA <laughs> committee, and so I was nominated. And I wasn't very happy about it. You know, it, it was I was I still felt I was pretty young in my career, and uh, you know I, I I didn't I didn't feel I, I wasn't very happy. But uh, as it turned out, that that experience was probably one that really changed my view and outlook on agricultural education. And uh, it, it was something that really, really got a hold of me. Uh, after, after I went through the district rotation uh, and served as president, um, it, it came our time to elect a secretary-elect for the executive committee. And so, you know, I, was, I think I was probably Ten years into my career, then whenever I was nominated for that out of my district and voted in, 
and uh, so so at that point in time I started serving on the executive committee uh, upon my completion of that um, our legislative chair was retiring and uh, our executive committee as I was leaving asked if I would fulfill that role and so uh, in, in 2000 summer 2012 I believe it was or um, I started serving as our, our MBATA legislative chair and I filled that position for so I think it was four or five years took a brief break and I, I stepped back into that position in 2019. So what's that been like? <laughs> I mean, because I know you, I mean, those of you that don't know that with that legislative um, position, legislative chair, you spend an awful lot of time in Jeff City, don't you? I did. Uh, I, I'll tell you, probably, you know, it, it, it's, it's, people don't realize the amount of time that it takes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that left, uh, are left undone at home. Uh, there's a lot of times you're out of class. Uh, you know, I might get a call on a Sunday night and say, hey, we got a committee meeting in the morning. Can you be there? And, uh, you know, it, you miss a lot of school. You miss a lot of opportunity with your kids. Um, you get sent to Washington, D.C. And, you know, that's time away from your kids. And uh, there's a, a lot of, of things that take place um, it, with that position. And, you know, I'm thankful for it. I enjoy it. Uh, I really feel like someone needs to tell our story about agricultural education. Um, I'm willing to do that. You know, you know it, it doesn't scare me to do that. And, and uh, it's something that I enjoy to do. Well, good. Like I said, we sure appreciate it because we need, uh, we need folks like you that are advocating on our behalf and, and uh, that make a positive, uh, portray us in a positive image. You know, because uh, it'd be very easy to just stick somebody on there that uh, didn't want necessarily to be there. And if they don't want to be there, you know, that, that doesn't always uh, go well either. Exactly. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, and then as we're recording this, uh, you're up for election for the MOACTE uh, president-elect. Is that correct? I am. I am. Um, our, our ag division, uh, it came to our rotation and... In order for our, our MBATA to be eligible, we have to provide two candidates. And uh, one of the qualifications for that is you have to be a former president of our association. And so... Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure that there's a lot of young teachers that don't understand that. Right. That we just can't put up a, a random person out of a, you know our 400 and some odd members right. to just fill that role. There is a finite amount of qualified candidates Exactly. That, uh, to fill that role to represent our division. Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, uh, uh, again, you know, it, uh, it, it's stepping into a little different territory for me, you know, uh, uh, as, as uh, running for this position. And, but, uh, you know, it's something that I'm willing to, to accept the challenge, you know, to see what we can do to help out Missouri ACT as well as our ag teachers. Well, good deal. Good deal. I hope... Uh, I hope your year of service is, uh, you know, pretty chill and <laughs> it goes pretty easy without any uh, any major hiccups, which, uh, you know, I'm sure it will with you at the helm. So anything else, you know, from the professional standpoint? You well, know? you know, some of the challenges that, that, you know, people are not aware of, and I know, you know, uh, tomorrow I, I get to go up and I get to talk to our organization about donating to the PAC organization. That's our political action committee. Uh, you know that that fund is 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 
purposeful for a reason. And, you know, in, in about 2012, we were under the direction of a uh, of leadership in the Department of Education that, that kind of had a, a target on, on career and technical student organizations. Uh, one of the biggest obstacles that I have ever had to face in all my leadership roles was that year. A lot of people don't know this, some people may not remember this, but <clears throat> at that time they were trying to strip the career and technical student organizations away from DESE and remove them from the Department of Education, which would, you know, it, it would harm our organization. And so uh, that year, uh, I was president of our association that year, and that's kind of how I got into the legislative side. Um, we had to fight tooth and nail against uh, the commissioner uh, to to try to save and salvage what was ours and, and what needed to stay where it was. Um, that was that was the year my son was in sixth grade. Uh, I can remember at sixth, sixth grade graduation, my wife took my phone away from me because for a constant two months, it was nothing but phone calls and trips to Jeff City. And uh, the, the, the big thing I remember about that is, is I'm a type one, I'm, I'm kind of a cheapskate. I'm still on the old Alltel plan with Verizon. I'm grandfathered <laughs> in. So I have a limited amount of talk in minutes. Uh, I had a couple of phone bills during that time just because of legislative activities on my cell phone to where my cell phone bill was over $400. Oh my God. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it was it was a constant battle and, and I can still remember those kids in class, you know, I'd get a call and, and they would, you know, the, the office would buzz and say, Senator so-and-so's on the phone. And, and my kids are like, oh, there's Mr. Wilson saving the FFA. <laughs> It, you know, it wasn't the case. We were working for Malati, but yeah. but uh, that was a huge challenge, and uh, <clears throat> I am very proud of all of the ag teachers that stepped up at that time. You know, the last two weeks of session that year, we had ag teachers in the Capitol every day, huh. and it was a constant, uh, you know, and we got legislation passed, which is unheard of at that time. Yeah. You know, that legislation was put through, it was passed, you know, and it protected our career and, and, and technical student organizations. And so it, it was something that we felt was a great challenge, but we also felt that it was a, a really great accomplishment. So correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of, I kind of remember a story that kind of goes along with it during that time period. Um, your social media was, uh, I believe you had, you had a Twitter account? Yes. And, uh, well, fill me in a story, because I, I don't want to miss it. Go, go ahead, go ahead. You'll I, have to remind I, me. I, I, I just seemed like that uh, you had posted something on your Twitter account, and I don't remember there was some comment or some somebody from Dundesi, wasn't it? Was it from the commissioner or something? I mean, basically creeped on your on your yeah, Twitter account. I, I, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. it, it was kind of weird how it went back. I mean, it was, it was something to do that, uh, yeah, one of those employees or, or there was the commissioner herself. I do remember Because that, yeah. it, those folks that weren't involved, it was it was almost like Ag Ed versus the commissioner. And I can't even remember her name. I just remember at the time that she was one of the most disliked people amongst our community. Yeah. And, and ain't it sad that we won the battle and I can't even, I don't even, I can't even remember her exactly. name. Exactly. You know, so. it, it, it was one of those things that, 
you know, during that time, you know, developing friendships, relationships, I've still got relationships with those legislators, you know, and and the the people that stood up and took a stand, you know, and I could I could call on the phone and say, hey, we're going to do this. Will you be there? And you know, and, and ag teachers I did not know other than seeing them at conference and state convention, and we were up there at Jeff City telling these people about what was important and why we needed something and, and it was truly you know it was a huge fight but it was it was truly just a great accomplishment that really you know solidified my belief back to that pack money right back to those right. things that we we do and you know and, and uh, we we sometimes we forget about those battles that we've we fought and we see oh we may not need to I don't need to give ten dollars, twenty dollars for that. Yeah. You know, and and you know, it's it's sometimes it's good to reflect and see well, yeah. the things and, that we did. And I sure hope that we don't have a major battle like that again. You know, we're like I said, I don't really want to go on a political tangent, but but really, when we start looking at at, at this COVID thing and, and the way our schools are handling it, and then Missouri School Boards Association, what was their stance on uh, electives, like? Yeah, you know, last spring, you know that they're not important. You know, we hope that that doesn't come back to to have an effect on us. But you know, I think we got all the right people in place. I do. That that if that becomes an issue, I think we can we can slightly nudge back and you know where we're where we're at. And we're, so you know, I I really feel as career and tech educators, we are in a great spot. You know, and and despite the things that are going on in the economy, despite the things that are going on with budgets, you know, there is still a tremendous demand for our students. You know, uh, uh, there's a huge interest in our programs and there is a tremendous in interest in workforce development. Absolutely. And those are two things that, that not only, you know, not only Missouri AC, but, you know, ag teachers, you know, and, and uh, I, I, it is scary. It is something to be cautious about, but I do have that sense of relief knowing that, you know, the pendulum has kind of swung back in our favor a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, instead of us being on our heels, now we're kind of on our toes and, and you know, and, and it, it's, it's really a, a, a good time for career and take it. Good. Good. And, and like I said, and I know I said it before and I'll say it again. And, you know, at, as a fellow professional, or as you're, uh, I appreciate because I mean your sacrifice goes more has been more than what most of the general public knows and just like we talk about that sixth grade graduation you know I I, I just I appreciate it because uh, I don't think you can get told that enough so anyway so we're gonna dive off and kind of you know leave that uh, your professional you know career and let, let's really get to know John Wilson the person okay the the guy away from the school um, you know, when you're not at school, what do you like to do? I know you mentioned earlier you got a farm and all that, so let's yeah. talk more about that. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, my goal is always, you know, I, as a as a young person, was you know, I wanted to build something of somewhat value, you know, that I can pass on. I've got two boys, you know, and and so we've been fortunate, you know, we've pieced together uh, 266 acres. It all joins right there at the house and you know and so in our spare time you know it, uh, a lot of what we do is there on the farm you know working as an ag teacher there's not a lot of free time 
a lot of late nights, there's a lot of weekends you're gone. And so uh, when I do have spare time when I'm not at school, it's usually spent on the farm, around the house, doing something of that nature. And so, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's uh, planting those those shade trees right now that I'm not seeing much benefit about that you know somebody down the road is going to and uh, you know it, it's just something that I really enjoy you know we run we run mama cows and uh, you know it's it's just a way for me to relax a way to get a, a, away from everything you know and uh, it, it's something that you know that also brings practicality to what I do in the classroom right you know and uh, so let's talk more about the mama cows. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of cows? What you know? What 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 are you uh, shooting for? I mean, you're raising feeders. You cow calf operation. You know. You know we we uh, just getting started out. You know, just kind of piecing things together. Didn't want to go into a lot of debt, so it's just kind of add slowly. You know, and, and we found our number. We want to reside at. We run uh, forty mamas, and uh, we course you know we, we've got several registered angus you know we, did, we didn't paper them but uh, uh, we've got blacks and reds um, I would really like to make the transition to to all red uh, I know that's going to take some time especially you know not jumping into a pile of debt right and doing right it. Uh, but you know we, we've got a pretty decent herd uh, you know we, we've got some uh, some cattle that you know come from some pretty good genetics uh, trying to do some AI with our cattle uh, to improve those genetic abilities and uh, so that's something that we've we've tried to do here in the past um, you know it just a kind of a, a second job you know? so what's your goal I mean you hoping to raise seed stock you hoping to raise bulls and replace no, females no, you know we're, we're just raising feeder cattle you know and uh, it it's kind of funny, you know, it's as busy as we are, you know, it'd probably be a lot simpler to, to do something else. But, uh, you know, through through my wife's input, you know, through her employment and, the, you know, the programs that we've been able to implement through her job and, and you know, her expertise, um, it's made our life real a lot easier on the farm than, than you know, what it used to be. Uh, you know, we, we uh, practice rotational and intensive grazing. Uh, I, I know that, that there was a lot of people that probably got a little bit better, uh, buy a little better than what we did this last year, but you know, we didn't have to feed any hay until the middle of February. You know, we were still grazing our stockpile, uh, you know, and so, you know, it, it's something that we could run more cattle, we could do more things, but you know, it, it's kind of that diminishing returns, you know. Right, and right. So, so how often are you rotating? I mean, because I know there's a lot of different philosophies in rotational grazing and you know even up to the whole what mob grazing and all that sure. but you probably practically have to live there isn't it, with that type of that style of, of grazing system so you know the, the grazing system we have set up you know it, it's practical for what we have uh, we we uh, initially built the grazing system larger than what we needed to that way we could kind of, of see and, and govern what was going on with the knowledge and the ability that we can uh, reduce our paddocks uh, you know uh, uh, whenever we're doing the uh, strip grazing you know we're probably grazing two days uh, in the winter time starting sometime in December we'll just start turning them in on that grass and and just give them 
you know, just a small area. And we rotate him about every two days, just drop fence and let him roll. And, and uh, that, that has really helped me out, you know, because, you know, as you know, a lot of what we do in the fall and in the winter is about a flashlight. Yeah. And, you know, we're nighttime farmers. And, and so whenever you get home, and, and that's something that, that's very easy to do. Uh, my paddocks, you know, uh, are, are fairly large right now. So, you know, in the springtime, it's hard for me to keep up with. The grass and then we get to a time where we're at right now and we start sweating a little bit because you know I, uh, we just entered I think I have one more pasture left before I have to go back and start hitting the pasture who are the grays yeah we're pretty dry but you know uh, you can look at that a couple of ways you know we're almost through something you know halfway through summer absolutely and you know we've not grazed our, all of our pastures. so you, you talk about dry I mean you just want to give us an idea because we're you know where I'm at. Uh, we've we've been very fortunate. In fact, I heard while we've been down here, you know, we've had an inch and a half of rain, or you know, we've been catching those rains uh, that's come through. In fact, this is the first time in uh, believe it or not, in several years that we actually had hay down and got wet back back to the week of Fourth of July. You know, uh, and it was you know, when there wasn't calling for it. So, um, and I know you know we've heard a lot of talk about uh, dryness. So. When, when you're putting that in perspective. Uh, I think the last measurable rain that we got, and it was somewhere around a half inch, was the 1st of July. Okay. And, and that doesn't, you know, it, it's not too awful bad, but you gotta remember we've had two weeks of 90 degree temperature. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it's not, we're, we're not in dire straits, you know, it's just one of those things that, this time of year, it's one of those things that's always weighing on my mind. Right. Well, you're in a part of the country, you're always two weeks away from a drought. We all, we all, yeah. And so, but, uh, you know, it, it, it all works out. It, it always does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you calve? Uh, I have a fall set of cows and I have a spring set. And so, um, you know, that, that was not intentional. Uh, you know, just getting started when we were just getting started, you know, you have a, you know, an old cow miss or something, you know, you, you, go, you run her in the fall and, you know, and, and you do, you do what's not economically smart and call exactly. her and keep her. I know I got a dad, I got a dad that's the same way, you know, he gets the same thing. She, well, she's good. It wasn't her fault. She missed. Well, <laughs> it, you know, and, and honestly, uh, we've, we've had very good luck, you know, um, when we started using AI, that, you know, our, our calving percentages has always been in the 90s, and we've not had issues with that. But, you know, you, you'll have that occasional cow, and I know she's a good cow, and she produces a whale calf, so let's try to figure out something, let's see. Now, now if she doesn't roll one out the next time, she's gone. But, you know, it, uh, that, that was how we were practicing things. Now that we've hit our goal of, of where we want to be at, you know, me and my wife, we sit down as, as you know, co-owners in this farm and co-operators and you know we, we we wanted to hit a goal of 40 cows and now that we're there we're a lot harder on our culling and uh, you know that that philosophy has changed and so you know we've always got replacement heifers coming into the program uh, you know mentioned we were trying to get into the red color you know I, in the spring of the year I'm usually at, a, at some red sales trying to buy some females and so you know it, we're slowly 
trying to make that transition in the process of getting rid of some of those poor doers. Right. And so, you know, it, it is correct. It's not the most economical thing. And my wife and I have that conversation a lot. And, uh, you know, this year we've put the, we've actually put the hammer completely down. And if anything pregged open, they went and their ground as hamburger. So, uh, we're selling hamburger, by the way. <laughs> USDA inspected. Is it still at eight ninety nine a pound? <laughs> it is not. Oh, it is okay. Not. But, but uh, anyway, that's that's a little bit about our our cow cow. Okay. Awesome. Anything else? Anything? What else you like to do? I mean, you got to have something away from you. Well, I mean, you know, um, uh, I guess one of the big things is is I've been a, a pretty big runner. Um, you know, I, I've taken some time off. Uh, uh, I, I've done some crazy things. Uh, you know, back a few years ago, I, I uh, got the idea. Um, you know, you, you asked what would somebody know me for, and maybe it's my mustache. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, had some guys come to me and say, hey, Wilson, you got to run this race. And, and uh, if you run a 100-mile race, you get a belt buckle. That's your trophy. Well, this belt buckle had a mustache on it. A big old thick furry mustache, and I was like, I'm doing that, you know. And so, you know, uh, I like I, I like running, uh, you know, as, as far as that goes. I play the guitar. Uh, I, I own several guitars. I like music. As far as my music selection, it's all over the board, you know, from Dropkick Murphys to, you know, to whoever. You know, I, I just well, like I, that's been one thing, and it's you know I, that was kind of a leading question. It was headed that way, is that, uh, um, well, I guess I tell the folks that uh, we've uh, we follow each other on Snapchat and send a lot of stuff back and forth, and and uh, I love getting the Snapchats. You're out feeding cows or brush hogging in there, and you're listening to some Alice in Chains <laughs> yeah. or something like that, and I'm like. You know, uh, John and I, for, for being so far apart, are so similar in a lot of ways, and especially our music selection, because I'm all over the board as yeah. well. You know, I I love the the 80s hairband music. It's oh, what yeah. I grew up with. You know, we, we had talked a little bit about that, but you had tickets to go see, what yeah. was it, Motley Crue, Poison, yeah. and was it Def Leppard? Def Leppard, Joan Jett, yeah. Yeah, I'd seen, I've seen Def Leppard twice, yeah. you know, yeah. and... Uh, uh, I've seen ACDC in concert. That's probably, I mean, that's one of those things that I was, uh, they came to Kansas City like the, uh, might be the first year that I was teaching and, or actually, no, I take that back. It was, uh, I think it was the second year. I was actually dating my wife at the time. They were showing up in Kansas City and I, we didn't go, you know, and it was one of those regrets. I'm like, man, I'll never see them again. And they came to Can the St. Louis and Kansas City uh, here, what was it, two years ago. And my wife and I got to take in ACDC in St. Louis. And, it, you know, tickets were expensive. They were as high up as you could possibly go in, uh, well, I think it was Scott Trade Center. But it was awesome. Because, like, two weeks later, uh, they quit touring because, what was it, Bon Scott lost his, lost his hearing. You know, and I was like, I was probably about that close to never taking him in in concert. But, uh, you know, that's awesome. I, I, that, now, the other band, what was the first one you mentioned? Uh, Dropkick Murphys. Now see, I, I'm actually not familiar with that. You, you need to look at, you know, growing up where I did, you know, a lot of bluegrass music. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, of Irish music, uh, and this is kind of an Irish rock band. Okay. And so, you know, it's, uh, they've got your banjos, mandolins, and it's kind of hard music. And so, you know, it, 
I'm, I'm all over the board. Uh, I've passed that on to my kids. I, I've done a, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of doing that because their playlist is, is a mirror image of mine. You know, it goes yeah. from George Strait all the way up to Allison Chains, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, Metallica. Oh yeah, they're and, and kind of one of those bands that it's been on my list. The my list to see would be Metallica, but there's another one that's it's uh, Saliva is a, is a Texas band. You know, it's pretty hard. They were actually in, in Jet City at the JC Cole County Fair here a while back, and uh, I wanted to go, but I'm just like, you know, I don't, I wouldn't fit in with this. I can't blend in, sure. you know. I, you know, I just, I just love music, you know, and uh, it's it's just something, you know, I, I hear a song, we'll get it out, get the guitars out, we'll play, you know, Rolling Stones, you know, it, it's, it, it, we're just all over the board. Merle Haggard. You into the, you know, the Texas the, the Texas country and kind of the red dirt, you sure. know, that kind of stuff. I was a little late to the party on, on that one. Um, Matt Hart, <laughs> who actually taught at Marshall at one time, we were coming back from, uh, uh, national convention and he downloaded a bunch of stuff and I'd actually been to, to see Cross Canadian Ragweed they opened up for Dirks Bentley at uh, the Blue Note and I was just ant. I just there was nothing about them that I liked at that concert I was just infuriated but then I started to listen to that again and I'm like you know what, what the hell did I miss out yeah, on yeah. you know because I was just too stubborn in my mind that that's not what a what, what I wanted to listen to and I and uh and I was a little late to the party on Turnpike Troubadours. I was lucky enough to go see them a couple times in concert before, uh, well, let's be honest, Miranda Lambert broke them up. <laughs> Unpopular opinion or not. And then um, my wife and I, I mean, have, we've seen Randy Rogers. We're kind of a little late to that on there, but we've seen Randy Rogers' band several times now. I'm just, you know, big fan. In fact, we had tickets to see Randy Rogers at... Uh, the blue note before the, the whole COVID shut everything down. But uh, anyway, I didn't want to bring up the music because I, yeah. I, I just think it's, it's neat. You, you send me a video and you never know what you're going to be listening to. Yeah. Uh, it'd be one of those things that a lot of people probably just, you know, make a snap judgment looking at you would never, would never expect. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've rolled up to a few parking lots and, you know, people kind of looking at me with my music I'm playing, you know. And, We've kind of grown up in a, in a golden age of, of music you know oh, from 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 grunge you know yeah. to you know the nirvana the sound garden to you know black crows they're all on my playlist yeah i just <laughs> and, and i don't know what it is you know i used to think when i was a kid you know i was kind of expected to listen to you expected to listen to country listen to the local mexico radio station um and I'll, don't get me wrong i, I love all that old country music and you know grew in the old stuff love buck owens Yep. You know, kind of like that California honky tonk. I'm a big Dwight Yoakam fan, uh, big Gary Allen fan. We've seen my wife and I have seen Gary Allen. I, I've lost count. You know, just kind of like that that scene. But uh, I just remember being in. You know, as I kind of moved into the junior high, kind of listening to start listening to Def Leppard and listening oh, to yeah. some of that other stuff. And the, you know, the hip hop was kind of coming on the scene. And, uh, you know, thinking, boy, I don't know what my dad would think if he heard me listen, you know, pour some sugar on me or exactly. something like that. But uh, it, pr probably the, the biggest comment I get, you know, is, is uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends through social social media interactions, you know, that, and, and they'll say the same thing. You know, my, my music selection is just, it's a, a shotgun. They, they never know what I'm going to be listening to. And, and a lot of them are very surprised, you know, because I'm out there and in a tractor, feeding, brush hogging, doing something, 
and you know, and I'm rocking out to some old grunge or something heavy, and, and then you turn around and it might be Lindsey Sterling on the fiddle, you know, just yeah. playing, you know. Kind of reminds me of the the Metallica. Was it the was it? It wasn't S and M. The Metallica album where they they recorded it with the Boston Orchestra. Yes, oh, I mean that was awesome. Yeah, well, you know, my some of my favorite Christmas music is that Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll drive all the way to Oklahoma. We'll go to Oak City and, and go to the Cowboy Christmas Ball and, you know, dance around to those old fiddle tunes and stuff and have a great time. Take the boys, you know. And, yeah. And, and all the way out there, we're rocking out to, you know, the Trans-Siberian <laughs> Orchestra. <laughs> so, so let's talk about TVs and movies. I won't dig into that a whole lot, but, uh, you know, I know you're like me. We've kind of grabbed the... We've, grabbed a hold of the old Yellowstone bug and yeah, yeah. you know we're at season three and uh it's it's taken a little bit of time to you know to be able to develop this new protagonist it's kind of been slow a little bit but man the end of season two kind of left us yeah. I mean yeah I mean, big Yellowstone fan I, I like that you know westerns you know uh, uh, some of my I'm a Tom Selleck fan so, you know, you know, some of his Crossfire Trail, Monty Walsh, some of those movies are just something that some of my go-tos. Uh, probably all-time favorites probably be uh, Tombstone, uh, maybe go back to The Long Riders. Uh, if you've not watched The Long Riders, I would encourage that. It's a movie about Jesse James and the Younger Gang. The unique thing about it is all the actors are brothers in real life and they portray brothers in the movie. Really? Yes. So it's, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, Longmire, did you get into Longmire? I've watched it a couple of times. Uh, liked that show. Got some of the books. Been reading some of the books. Uh, the Ranch, you know. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> there again, after, uh, what was it, Rooster, uh, after Rooster left the show, they kind of put a sour taste in our mouth and we just kind of quit. We just, yeah. we just gave up on a cold turkey. And they tried awful hard, you know. And I like Sam Elliott. Don't yeah. get me wrong, I, I like him. But but there's a lot of that. They just they just almost seem like they tried too hard in some of that uh, to make it too hokey, you right. know. Yeah. And so anyway, we kind of left that one cold turkey and, and went on. But uh, your wife has one of the best shirts ever. That she it, does. Uh, tell our listeners it, what it is. It's uh, somewhere between Beth Dutton and Proverbs 31. And so if you're not familiar with Proverbs 31, that, that's a biblical reference. And, and if, you're not, if you're not familiar with Beth Dutton, you probably ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, I, and just kind of going back to Yellowstone, one of the, one of the greatest things about that is this, you know, uh, just... And, and, Obviously, it's not true to life and everything like that, sure. but it, but at least it gives some folks a little bit of glimpse into Western culture, uh, and doesn't make everybody be out to be uh, simpletons or anything. What what a lot of folks view rural people, you know. Right, right. It, you know, uh, uh, when I started watching that, I I was a fan of Sons of Anarchy, and you know, and I I've watched that several times, then all the seasons and all the episodes, and and. Uh, I think there's a close correlation between the two. It's, really? It's since See, I I started. I, I think I started it, and then it, I just for some reason I just never got into it. And I don't know. You know, some of those things 
you just got to be in the right frame of mind. You bet. You know, and there's movies that have been that way. I tell people all the time, I was like, the first time I went uh, with my wife, we went to the movie theater to go see uh, Talladega Nights. And I said, I never laughed a single time through the theater at Talladega Nights. But I, I want to tell you something about that movie that you may not know. I'm actually in that movie. Oh, really? Really. <laughs> really. You care to elaborate? Well, NASCAR fan. Never been to a NASCAR race and uh, came across these tickets. They were to Talladega. So me and a buddy skip work. We go to Talladega for this race. We get down there. Of course, you know, it, it's huge. You know, it's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. And we get down there and the uh, race is supposed to start. And lo and behold, you know, they come across the loudspeaker. Hey, we're going to have a delay in the race because we're filming today. And I'm like, what? What in the world? And, you know, they, they had this little dune buggy car running around the track doing hot laps, had cameras all around the yeah. corner. And they were getting their shots. And they had the, the, the cat car, the, the cougar. It was on the Karen, track. Was a Karen. It, it, it was yeah. on the track with the cars at the start yeah. of the race. You know, uh, when they did introductions, they was filming that as well. And and uh, the French dude gets up there and they introduced him. Of course, Vision Talladega. Everybody booed him. You know, yeah, that didn't make the movie. But uh, you know, we were actually there. Uh, Will Ferrell was there, and uh, the the end scene is basically what they were filming that day. So. You know, it took 30 minutes watching them guys. They would sprint up to the line, Will Wood and the other actor, and then they'd cut, and then the next guys would take off about where they's at, and they'd dive across the stunt guys. Would dive. So we got to watch them film that about 15 times, and, uh, and you know, they invited the crowd down to come and, and congregate at the start-finish line. Those are all true fans. That, that actually, everything that you see in that movie took place that day at Talladega. I, I just want to tell the listeners that we this was this is uh, this is all by chance. I just have to bring that up. We had never talked about this before. I had no idea. But why I picked that movie to, to, to bring up and you're in it. I mean I'm, I'm a movie star. <laughs> did you so how many times did you watch the movie and pause it trying to find your find okay, you in the so, crowd? So you know I'm kind of a naive, you know, just not knowing, and, and I had no idea about this movie. And uh, uh, some of y'all remember Jim Young. Uh, we used to have this Made for Excellence conference. Yeah. One of the things that we would do is we would go, we would dump the kids, uh, because it was one of those, they take the kids and they're engaged with them, and, and we have time for ourselves. So we would go catch a movie while the kids were doing these these things. So, so. Jim and I got together that year, and he's like, yeah, let's bring our kids. Our kids are about the same age. My yeah. boy was probably seven. Okay, let's pause for just a second. So for those of you that are listening that don't know who Jim Young is, Jim Young was a was an ag teacher at Lakeland. Um, Jim passed away of a, unexpectedly of a blood clot uh, following a week of camp, wasn't it? I mean, he'd been, he'd been a week of camp. I'd been to camp with Jim. Jim was, uh, I mean... Jim was an awesome guy. He was Absolutely. a lot, a lot of fun to be around. You know, Jim was the guy that he always he knew things. He knew how to. I mean, whether it be uh, there used to be stories of Jim, uh, you know, talking. He used to be a truck driver at one time, 
And, you know, he knew how to talk, talk to bus drivers if they, you know, would use the whole logbook as an excuse why they couldn't stay, you know, for a concert. <laughs> but, but anyway, we could do a whole podcast on, on Jim Young stories. Oh my. But I did want to give a little bit of background yeah. because, I mean, to put it bluntly, he was a hell of a dude. Yes. He's, you know, he's very sorely missed by those of us in the, in the profession, especially those of us in Central District that got the, got educated by Jim. Absolutely. And, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll dive into that some other time because I, <laughs> I, I have some camp stories, uh, and you, you just never knew whether Jim was, was, <laughs> was with you or against you. And, and I always, I always held my cards pretty tight with him. So anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, but I, well, but I did want to tell these folks, you know, who, yeah. who you're dealing with. Here, yeah, well, so. you know, so, so, uh, we, we get together and we make this plan that we're going to bring our boys to MFE and then we're going to go see a movie. And, and so Talladega Nights was one of the movies. And I was like, well, well Jim, I'm, I'm in this movie. Let's go see it. My son is so small, we have to get a booster seat for him to sit in. And if you've ever seen Talladega Nights, you, you kind of know where I'm going with this. And, and uh, it, it was one of them, you know, we, we leave and I'm like, son, you cannot repeat anything that you heard in this movie. And you cannot tell your mom. If you don't like Big Red. <laughs> so so yeah, that that was that was one of my experiences. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Anyway, kinda got side. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that uh this is funny because I I don't know, you know, you're talking about westerns and you know, I've always kind of been the whole the like the Happy Gilmores and the Billy Madisons, yes. you know, those were some of the best movies. Yeah. The other guys. The other guys was one of those the first time I watched it with maybe it's just Will Farrell. Yeah. But the first time I watched the other guys, I I don't think I didn't laugh. And I'm telling you the and we own it now. Yeah. And you know, my my wife likes to say, Well let's watch the other guys again and it's just there's all this so much you're just sure. laughing constantly so well uh, a tradition that we've had in our house is on on christmas day as a family we go to the movies and so you know uh, we, we used to have a movie theater in town didn't have to travel too far we could go see something had some really sorry movies to go look at <laughs> yeah. and so you know that, that's something that that we've always kind of done on christmas so you know and, and but if we had our preferences you know we're we're action like action stuff, you know. My wife's very generous to not make us go watch chick flicks, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, have you ever gotten conned into that? We have, uh, you know. We, Did, with you, not with the boys. I'm talking about with you. Have you ever, have you ever been gone, gone to a movie under false pretense? <laughs> <laughs> well, not with my wife, but uh, <laughs> it, it, again, it was with Jim Young. <laughs> hey, you know. Anybody that knows me, you know, will, will understand this. But, but again, we were at one of them MFE conferences, and it's like, there's a great movie. It's American Wedding. You'll really like it, John. <laughs> and I'd never seen American Pie. Or yeah. Nothing, and this was one of those movies, and so it was like the Porkies of our day. Oh yeah, so, yeah. But absolutely. No, my wife's really good. You, you know, on Mother's Day or birthdays or something, you know, sometimes we'll go. Let her choose. And, and, uh, my, my wife drug me to the, I think it was the Divine Secrets <laughs> of the Yaya Sisterhood. And, you know, so the name pretty well gives it out, but I think she, there were some promises of, of maybe Ashley, I think Ashley Judd was in that. 
and I think there was promises of maybe you're being scantily clad or something. <laughs> and and so in my mind that was gonna that was gonna make it all right that I was gonna be drugged to this chick flick. And uh, yeah, it was nothing as promised, and I and I was the only male in in the entire movie theater. <laughs> yeah, but probably the closest I've ever come to that was uh, I, I think for Christmas one year we couldn't find a movie and and she wanted to watch and I I'm gonna butcher this name but I know I am Les Miserables. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess it Les Miserables. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. It. So. Uh, it was miserable, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know it, it was all in a foreign language, and they run around screaming at each other. It was angry the whole time. I didn't understand it, but it made her happy. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's kind of like my. And that's one thing I got a, a, an eight year old, and uh, uh, so my wife can drag her along to. I think they went and saw the Greatest Showman. You know, and I just that's just not my cup of tea. So <laughs> anyway. Uh, anything else? You know, we started talking about, you know, I got on here, uh, I was all about side hustle because, you know, you got cows. Is there anything, you know, anything else? Are you an Uber driver in Gainesville <laughs> when you're not doing anything else? Well, yeah, I, I do have a side hustle. Um, you know, through my through my time in, in running, uh, a buddy of mine, we came up with this idea that we would form a running club. And we did, and we call it the Idiots Running Club. And we designed a shirt, uh, other clothing, jackets, hats, all kinds of stuff. And, and we actually have a website. Uh, we sell running clothes uh, with our our logo and our brand on them. Well, feel free to go ahead and <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, pimp it out. <laughs> Idiots Running Club. And, uh, <laughs> Truth and advertising. You bet, you bet, you know it, and. Uh, it, it, it started off kind of as a joke thing, you know, but our goal was just to have fun, and, and uh, it turned into the point to where uh, we kind of got, I, I really wouldn't call them sponsors, but we got people who were giving him and me shoes if we would promote their brand, and so I, I don't know the last time I bought running shoes because they've just been given to me through these companies, and so, um, you know, it's been a way that we've been able to take some really long distance trips to go engage in some races, you know, where it used to, you know, we, we would have to pay fuel and motels and entry fees yeah. and all that stuff, you know, through this side hustle, it, it was basically all paid for through, you know, some of the shirts we sold and things like that. Does that mean you're an influencer? I mean, do you have an Instagram? <laughs> I have Instagram. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I have, I have Instagram, have Twitter, have Snapchat, uh, you know, I've, I've formed a lot of relationships, you know, uh, it, it's kind of odd, you know, going back to some of the leadership engagements I was in, I got stranded on a leadership trip we were going on in an ice storm in North Carolina. And I put on my social media that, hey, I'm, you know, great, got delayed. There was a person who had never met me before, but they were part of our Idiots Running Club, came to my motel, took me out to dinner, just, just so I, I didn't have to sit there and, and do nothing. And so, you know, have formed some really neat relationships over the years through this. And, you know, I had, had some really neat, unique experiences. That's so. awesome. <laughs> What's not, not awesome is trying to keep streaks up with you on Snap. <laughs> You're two 40-year-old guys trying to keep up with Snap streaks. <laughs> I look, I'm like, man, this is a lot of work. 
what am I going to show Wilson today? <laughs> oh, but you know, in all actuality, with all that, I mean, it's probably given me a lot of insight into you know into your world. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know how much how much insight I'm giving <laughs> you, but but anyway, that that's been the neat part of it. You know, that that spurred a whole conversation. Um, early on about your rotational grazing and you know we kind of got into into that discussion so um anyway there there are some good things with the, with the whole social media thing so hey you know it's it's about time to wrap it up but there are a couple you know one question what do you hope to do when you retire well you know uh, that that's kind of still up in the air you know i i still want to be involved in agriculture i still want to be involved in in the things we do you know and not quite figured out how I can do that. Um, you know, I, uh, I would entertain, you know, the, you know, all the options, you know, uh, there, there's, there's opportunity to engage in, in the political side of things. There's opportunity to engage in, in the, you know, state side of things. And so, um, my big goal is, you know, I want to spend some time on the farm, you know, and, uh, that that's the first and foremost thing, and um, you know that's something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of time, a lot of the things we're doing now is is building something for the future, and you know we don't get to see a whole lot of what we're doing because we're so busy and wrapped up in everything else. And uh, I just like to take some time and and just sit down and enjoy what we've got. You know, and, yeah. and that, that's the, the big thing I'm looking for. Um, I will be fortunate, you know, uh, my wife being uh, working for the USDA, I'll, I'll retire, well, you know, probably six, eight years ahead of her. And so I can, I can get some of my things out of my, out of the way before she retires and wants to, to do some stuff. And so. <laughs> She's not gonna make you go be a Walmart greeter because that's what my wife kept threatening well, me with. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, not at this point. Not, not at this point. Not at this point. So, uh, cool. Well, and you know, retirement's not all that far down the road, is it? It's not. It's not. You know, I, uh, I, I, and I'm fortunate. You know, I, getting in late after being in industry. You know, I, I'm gonna be able to do the eighty and out, uh, and you know, I'm probably looking at. at five, six years, and, and I'll be eligible for full retirement, and so um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Good, good. So we're getting ready to wrap this thing up, but you got a last piece of advice for uh, any young teachers or something you'd like to share that uh, no one shared with you when you were starting out that, you know, you want to make sure that you, you leave this podcast, you know, leave it on there for, for those folks to take? Yeah, there's there's probably two things, and... And, uh, you know, and I, I think I forgot to touch on this earlier, but uh, the, the one thing, you know, we talked about the leadership roles. And um, probably the biggest, my biggest takeaway from engaging in, in leadership roles to where I had to travel outside of our state was it, made, it, it gave me a deeper appreciation for Missouri Vocational Life Teachers Association. It gave me a greater appreciation for our state staff and the structure that we have and, and you know, the, the things that we have going in our favor. Um, you know, I, I've sat in meetings to where, uh, you know, ag teachers 
they didn't know each other because there was no structure to their state organization. It was, it was just, they had no idea who their neighbor was. They, there was no summer conference. There was no PD. There was no, you know, I, I've said in meetings where one person was the entire support staff for an entire state of ag teachers, you know, and it, it just made me realize how fortunate we are in Missouri to have the leadership that we have at Desi that structures the things that we do and and gives us the guidance that we do. We're, we're a very fortunate organization. Absolutely, so absolutely. The, the next thing, <laughs> kind of going back to that retirement, nobody told me this when I was young. All you young teachers, buy some years, if you can buy them, uh, buy some years of retirement. And uh, you, know, you may not be thinking, you know, I, I can't afford to buy those years now, but when you're 20 years into your career, you can't afford to buy them. Yeah, and, and, and so, if nobody's had that conversation with you folks, just to know, you know, as a career tech ed teacher, you know, you're eligible to purchase two years, and you know, those years cost 20, right now, in 2020, cost you 29% of your of your salary um, to buy those years. So it, it's definitely advantageous to do that early in your career versus the latter half. Absolutely, absolutely. And so. That, that would be the, the two things, you know, don't, don't shy away from leadership roles because it will grow you as a person. It will grow you as a, as a teacher and it will do wonders for your classroom. Good deal. Well, John, it's, it's been fun. You know, this is episode number one. We, I think we set the bar pretty high. Uh, you know, I, I have plans in my mind for further episodes with other individuals, but I'll tell you what, uh, it's been enjoyable. I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything you do. And uh, best of luck going forward. Folks, thanks for joining us. I hope you find some value in, in, in this hour and a half conversation we had. And we'll catch you on down the road.